Hello and welcome to Wisdom and Productivity, the podcast of Dr. Efraim Martinez. I am a school principal in search of wisdom so I can best serve my community. As part of this show, I interview luminary figures as I believe humanity can be better if they learn from them. In essence, the purpose of this podcast is to learn about the side B of the luminary figure, meaning what makes them be who they are. It is also an opportunity to express gratefulness for the perhaps even more luminary figures that inspired the interviewee. Today I have the distinguished honor of interviewing Dr. Steven Weaver, who is the Associate Superintendent for Teaching and Learning at Fayetteville Public School in Arkansas. Dr. Weaver first caught my attention by the reading selections and wise recommendations he shares via Twitter, and we are so fortunate to have him today in our show. Steven Weaver, who are you? Thank you, Dr. Martinez. It's an honor to be on your show. It is, I, As you said, I'm an associate superintendent for teaching and learning, but more important than that, I feel like I have a calling to serve students and families. And that calling started 25 years ago in West Memphis, Arkansas, with West Memphis Public Schools, where I was a fifth and sixth grade teacher. And that led to jobs and administration. I've worked in two state departments of education in Arkansas and North Carolina. And currently, I'm an associate superintendent for teaching and learning. So regardless of the role, the calling never changed. Serving students, helping students prepare for the next grade level and for opportunities in life. Beautiful. And so let me ask, where did that calling came from? Well, I certainly think my calling came from God. I, I'm a Christian, so that's where I believe my calling came from. But everyone has a different calling and a different reason. But I certainly believe that in an early age, I worked in sports camps and I worked with teens. I worked all over the United States with Doyle Baseball School. And I also worked in some Arkansas basketball and baseball camps. And I just figured that I enjoy working with youth and maybe this is a career calling and 25 years later, I'm still working with youth. Fantastic. Thank you so much. So let's go a little bit uh, uh, more on that. Tell us about your professional trajectory up to this point. Started out as a classroom teacher and that led to being an assistant principal. The next job I had was working for the Arkansas Department of Education as a K-12 social studies specialist. Um, while I was there, I was approached by the North Carolina Department of Public Instruction, and they asked me to become a high school social studies specialist with North Carolina Department of Public Instruction. So I served two years in North Carolina, and then I transferred to a school district, and I worked as the director of secondary instruction for six years, later becoming an elementary principal at a year-round elementary school in, in the same school district. And while I was in that position, I was approached by a school district and they asked me to become the executive director of K-12. And so I worked in Chapel Hill Carborough schools and that was prior to earning my doctorate degree. Once I earned my doctorate degree, I had a possible opportunity to come home to Arkansas and I'm now back one city away from where my wife and I grew up in Fayetteville, Arkansas, where I'm the associate superintendent for Fayetteville Public Schools. And all of those opportunities have given me leadership have taught me lessons and have allowed me to work and serve with great teachers and principals and counselors and other school staff and have allowed me to learn from great leaders along the way. 
Wow, thank you for sharing that. And let me ask you a follow-up question. Uh, what lesson or two did you learn about yourself when you move from your state to work at another state? It's very humbling when you move to another state, especially a state department of education. If you weren't a teacher or principal in that state, you know very little about that state. You may know content and you may know instructional strategies, but you know very little. So you, you learn to serve others because that's about all you can do at that point is serve others. You don't have a lot of content or historical knowledge about the state or about the state department. So I, I learned how to serve others working in two state departments. I also learned how to listen to the needs of others. And another thing that I learned is the value of multiple perspectives before you make a decision. So if you're working at the state level, you do have the benefit of having some of the best teachers and the best superintendents from across the state give you advice or serve on committees. So that, that's a benefit of working at a state level. If you're willing to listen, you've got quality teachers all over the state who are willing to offer their expertise and offer their recommendations on how to improve education. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. The value of listening, it took me a long time to, to, to learn it. So if you could go back in time, like in Back to the Future, what would be one or two pieces of advice you would give yourself? I think the first piece of advice I'd give myself is to listen to the perspective of parents early on in my career i think i felt like i had to prove to parents that i was an adult or that i knew how to work with kids even though i was in my 20s i felt like i had to prove to people that i could do the job and i think people realize you're young they realize you're fresh out of college and i don't think they have high expectations for you but i think in trying to prove people that you're smarter than they are or better than they are that's an error because I, I could have listened to parents more early in my career. And that, that proves true today. It, it's their child before it's our student. So listening to parents is something that I've learned along the way, but I wish I would have known as a first year teacher. And the other thing that I wish I would have known is the value of questions. I think in the last five to 10 years, I've really learned the power of questions. You don't have to know the answer to everything as a leader. But if you ask good questions, once again, you'll get multiple perspectives and then you can make a more informed decision that also relates to the custodian, the librarian, the school counselor and all school staff rather than making top down decisions. And as leaders, sometimes we make top down decisions quickly and we make several in the course of a week without seeking input from others. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that. Listening has become very important to you. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, often we people don't say that. Uh, so for the listeners of the show, listen carefully. Um, who do you learn from in broad perspective? I learn from the people I work with every day. I learn from our superintendent. I learn from my coworkers and the directors who are directly under me. I learn from teachers, I learn from principals, and I also learn from other leaders outside of education. I enjoy reading blogs and online articles. So there are several people who I would consider mentors to me, even though I've never met them. And so there are several people online who I like to read what they have to say about different topics in education and in leadership. Let me ask you, do you, do you just read what comes to you 
or do you have times where you read blogs or, or articles or or do, do you do you do not discriminate you whatever comes in front of you what what is your modus operandi it's usually a topic so usually i'll follow a topic so student engagement student voice personalized learning and once i follow a topic I'll see what's current or what people are writing about. I also have certain bloggers who I like to follow their blogs. So I may search by topic or I may just search their blog to see what their latest article is. I like to watch sports. So during the World Series recently, during college football on Saturdays, if I'm watching two or three college football games on a Saturday, I have my phone in hand and I'm typically scrolling to read articles during the commercial breaks and sometimes even during the game because now with TV you you hear a good play and you can rewind and watch the play again and again so the way TV has changed has allowed me to maybe multitask and and read articles online but but people often ask how do you read so many articles and I say well I watch a lot of sports and I read while I'm watching sports awesome awesome thank you for sharing that I love that um that you share, that you read, uh, doing also fun stuff. There's only not only one way of reading. Thank you for sharing that. Um, who is or who are your biggest influences? My dad and my, my grandfather. So his dad and then the, the legacy that I'm trying to leave for my children. So I feel like it's a responsibility, but I also feel like they have made the biggest influence or impact on me. Aside from my dad and grandfather, um, John Maxwell is someone who has influenced me as a leader. And currently, I've been having lunch with a, a person here in Northwest Arkansas who is a business speaker. And he's been speaking with me about communication and public speaking and lessons he's learned from a career in speaking internationally. So just having the opportunity to have someone invest in you or someone to share lessons from their professional experience outside of education those are people who influence me and add value to my life. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Tell me a little bit more about uh, why it's important for you uh, as an educator to learn more about public speaking. I believe every chance we communicate, we have the opportunity, whether it's a one-on-one -on -one meeting with a staff member, it's a faculty meeting, or maybe you're leading professional development with 80 teachers in the school district. We also have opportunities now with video to communicate with families and we have opportunities to communicate in small group meetings where maybe there's a, a difficult conversation or a difficult topic that a group of people are trying to sort out. So every time we're communicating, we have the opportunity to practice. And if we communicate well, then it may have a positive impact on that communication. And if we have derailing behavior or if our body language or our words don't match our actions, or if we're just a poor public speaker, people won't listen to our message. Beautiful. Thank you. One more follow-up question. If you will have to select one professional book that is the one that you recommend anyone, is there one that you can say? If it were professional for leadership, I'd have one topic, but if it were professional for K-12 education, I would say Understanding by Design by Grant Wiggins and Jay McTie. Thank you for sharing that. I remember having that one when I was in grad school 
but I will review it just because you said it. Thank you, Stephen. I appreciate it. So being successful, as you know, includes being part, being on top of our own productivity. But this is so different for so many people. What does productivity means for you and what advice do you have? I think early in my career, I thought productivity meant filling my agenda up all day from eight in the morning till five or six in the evening and never taking a break, even working through lunch. I think a lot of principals do that in their first year and that, that leads to burnout. Certainly you're going to have days that are like that, but if you intentionally plan every single part of the day, you don't have time for reflection. You don't have time for planning forward or planning for a faculty meeting. You don't have time to stop and talk to a parent who has a concern by phone or in person. You have to build blocks into your schedule. So I've learned to block my schedule better, to save time for email, to save time at the end of the week for planning forward and to save time for self. And also, you know, I used to just plan my schedule for, for work. So I didn't really plan my evenings. So I'd come home and I'd just continue working. Now I do a better job of self-care, I think, through, through the COVID pandemic. I've started riding a bike. I've started watching what I eat, but definitely having time for self, such as riding an indoor and outdoor bike and having time to exercise. And for several years in my career, I didn't exercise at all. I just constantly was either writing a blog for education, uh, reading a book, or watching sports on TV but very little of my time involves self-care. So I'm doing much better in the past year with self-care, and I wish that the earlier version of myself as a younger educator would have taken care of myself better for the past 20 years because there are a lot of benefits to that. But I think the COVID pandemic really had to slow me down to make me realize you can't go 20 more years working at this pace. Amen. Oh, my God. I wish I could frame that. That's fantastic. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, let's talk a little bit more about productivity. So uh, you have uh, several articles, uh, published articles. And for the listeners of the show and for the person interviewing you who aspires to write, what advice, what lessons have you learned about uh, professional writing? The biggest thing I think people need to do is just write something, put something on a piece of paper. People buy these $30, $40 leather journals and they, they're scared to write in it because they're afraid to mess up the first page. So whether you doodle, you draw, you use bullets, whatever you do, when you're in the moment and you're in a meeting or you're thinking or immediately after a meeting, you can use post-it notes, you can use a 99 cent spiral binder find a way to write it down or put it in a document online and capture your thoughts. And as you start to capture your thoughts, eventually you'll have an article. So for me, I may be sitting in a meeting and I may have five or 10 ideas after I visit a classroom or visit a school. And out of those five or 10 ideas, I may only have one blog, but that one blog then gives me an idea for my next blog or my next article. Another way is to find someone that you co-write with. I've been fortunate to co-write some articles over the past year with different people, and I don't even see them when we write this. Due to technology, we start a Google Doc, we brainstorm five or 10 topics, and then we do a skeleton outline of the article, and then each of us take turns filling in paragraphs or sections of the article. So co-writing with someone can often help you. 
I hear these things about people saying, well, I have writer's block, or I don't think anybody would care what I have to read. And my past experience started off with three or four people reading my blogs. Eventually I had 25, 30,000 people reading some of my online articles. And currently I'm posting articles on teach better. So that's where I've been writing over the past year. And I think that people are afraid maybe that someone won't like my article or someone won't like my style. I don't think you have to write APA style for everything. A, a journal article would be, but a blog can be your personal thoughts and reflections. So I think if you just look back at your week and you ask yourself, what were the highlights of this week? What were some challenges I faced this week? And what's one thing in education or in my school that I would change? If you ask yourself three reflective questions similar to those, you'll eventually have an article. And it's very rewarding to get feedback from others or from a principal who says, I used your article in our faculty meeting, or I shared your article in our weekly newsletter to staff. That, that's professionally rewarding to me. You don't get any money. You just know that you helped someone else. So if you're in the business of helping others, it's very rewarding when someone says, we used your article at our school and it really helped us uh, with a professional conversation or meeting. Wow, thank you for sharing. Uh, can, can you elaborate in the value of blogs on your blog from the perspective of when you started and where were you thinking about the audience who's gonna read this? Those insecurities that I guess goes through all the people that start with a creative project and uh, what lessons have you learned? I think you just learn confidence, just like riding a bike or throwing a ball. Over time, swimming in a pool. Over time, someone started off as a child scared to swim. And next thing you know, you swim one, one lap, then you swim 10 laps, and then you're diving in off the diving board. That's how riding is. You won't get better as a rider unless you practice. So I started in about 2008. As several years ago, it seems like, and certainly I've had weeks where I'd write three blogs and I've had three months where I'd write zero blogs. I think you don't need to put pressure on yourself and say, I'm going to write one every weekend, or I'm going to write one every month. Just start off writing and, and let it grow. There'll be times where you have more to write about than others, or you have more time. I also don't have children in the home. My children are out of college and or one's in college and one's married. And so as your children get older, there, there's more time for that reflection. But I certainly think there's time for anybody at any age in life. I just have a little bit more time now than I did 10 years ago when, when I had kids to take to practice and we had after school activities. But I think one thing that I've done is I work with, um, I'll look at Forbes or I'll look at leadership articles online. I'll look at popular articles from other magazines or newsletters. And if you look at their titles, they use titles that capture readers' attention. And a lot of uh, first-time bloggers don't use very good titles, so people don't click on their article. So things like three things you should consider, or five ways to support teacher leaders, or six questions for principals, 12 questions about curriculum design. If you use numbers or you use titles similar to what the professional articles are using, that will help you gain more readers. And it's not about numbers, but certainly if you're going to take time to write it, you want someone to read it. Yes. So that's, that's a, that's a really, um, a hint or a tip that would help writers is, is that. And the other hint is, is pretty common 
is a lot of people write the whole article and as they write they're developing their idea and then their very best thought is their final paragraph and they they call that burying the lead so don't bury the lead maybe your final paragraph it's if it's the best should be your opening paragraph someone at ascd once told me when i was writing blogs for them they said steven you you quite often bury the lead they said, uh, think of a superintendent or a principal sitting at their desk eating a sandwich. They've got 10 minutes for lunch and they're scrolling through their phone looking at articles. If They're never going to make it to the bottom where you have your really good point. So they said, for you to hook your reader, you need to put that in the first paragraph. Otherwise, they're going to click and read someone else's blog and they'll never make it through to the bottom where you really make your points. So that feedback helped me as a writer. That's great feedback. That's awesome feedback. You know, you have compelled me to even be more, you know, inside of us, there's always a voice that is telling you, hmm, I wonder where you bought that TV or, or those um, images behind you. So the voice is telling me what is happening to you, Efrain, is that you have these ideas and you can put them in your podcast, you can put them in a, in a blog spot, but then you won't be able to publish them. So then I start writing in the writing project and things happen, I get stuck and the idea goes nowhere. And the insecurity or the, the feeling of that, who's gonna read this, who cares about this, come with a force. And then I get frozen and nothing happens. Have you ever heard something like that? Yes, and I think it happens to every writer. I think it's common. Just like when you're giving a speech in public, you get nerves or butterflies before you go on stage. So I think it's common to think no one will read this or this only applies to elementary. This isn't a very good K-12 article. I think that happens to writers, but I think you just have to keep pushing and eventually you'll you'll have that article or that blog. I like writing for Teach Better and there are other online forums, Edutopia, and other places where educators can write. I believe BAM Radio has bloggers, Solution Tree has bloggers, guest bloggers. And I think that once you get with a site like that, you gain more confidence because you'll have more readers who are naturally going to those sites than if you start a blog on your own and hope that people come to your blog. It's not impossible that people would come to your blog, but it's more likely if a site already has maybe a thousand to 50,000 readers who are all educators that they're going to go to that site and find your article and retweet it and post it in their social media platform. So once again, it's never about the numbers, but I get more confidence posting that way than if I just posted an article online and hope that people would find my site or my Twitter site. Makes sense. Makes a lot of sense. Thank you. I appreciate it. And one more question in terms of productivity your doctorate um i'm sure listeners some listeners of this show are either in the program or considering uh, i just finished and uh, it, it, uh, it was such a monumental thing uh three four years uh, what advice do you have for those people in doctoral programs that uh, might need to hear from someone who already crossed that line well, congratulations on your doctorate you. degree. I was able to celebrate with you on Twitter and yes. saw your family pictures and I was happy for you. I have a lot of advice and I think anybody who's ever finished has a lot of advice. So you have to be careful because 
everybody has advice and you know it may not apply to your situation you have to take it for what it's worth so three lessons learned for me is don't try to make it perfect every time you submit a paper or a chapter to your professor if if they're not asking for perfection don't try to make everything apa style and make every paragraph and every sentence perfect because you go through 25 or 50 or 60 drafts and it's supposed to be a draft until you're towards the end and i tried to be so perfect every time i sat down to write that it took more time than if i would have had several drafts and so I, i my perfectionism slowed me down the other thing is find something that you can actually research a lot of people get to the chapter three and when they get to the research section the professor says now how are you going to study this and so you have a great chapter one and two but you run into a wall and maybe it takes you a year or two to figure out how you're actually going to complete your study. So that whole backwards design, thinking with the end in mind would have helped me more in grad school had I thought through chapter five and worked my way backwards rather than thinking one chapter at a time and working my way forward. That's big advice and lesson learned from, from my experience. And the final thing is have an accountability partner. It's probably not good if it's a family member or a boss. Should probably be someone in your cohort. I mean, your your professor will hold you accountable, but that's that's one level of accountability. Just like someone that would say, "Did you go to the gym this weekend?" or someone that would say, "Did you exercise this weekend?" You need someone to say, "Did you write this weekend?" And if someone does that on a consistent basis, maybe you can do the same thing for them and hold each other accountable. Did you go to the library? Did you get anything completed? Are you closer to a finished dissertation than when you started last week? And having accountability is very helpful. And a lot of people don't do that. So it's easy to go three or four months and then you, you kind of are stuck or you have writer's block. So I really think an accountability partner would have been more beneficial for me. Awesome. Thank you so much. And then, um, the final question is that this has been such a great conversation. Any last advice for the listeners of the show? I think we're going through hard times right now with COVID. Every state is at a different level. People are frustrated if they're still having to teach wearing a mask. Principals have had a lot of tough times from parents and teachers and students about the mask or about no masks. And superintendents are having challenging times. I think we need to just avoid the blame game. It's really tempting during the COVID pandemic to blame the students for any learning loss or for what they're not bringing to class or for attendance issues. It's easy to blame a co-worker who frustrates us or who doesn't share our political beliefs. It's really easy to point the finger at the principal or the superintendent and say that person isn't doing a good job or that person doesn't know what it's like to be a classroom teacher during the pandemic. And it's easy to point the finger at families. All of this is harmful. It's negative, and we need to just treat each other as human beings. And we really need to work hard at focusing on other people and serving others. If we're focused on serving others, we won't be focused on pointing the blame because really it's nobody's fault what we're going through in the world right now. And hopefully we can get to better times. But when we get to better times, we want to make sure that we have coworkers and families and students who are still with us and we haven't pushed people away from our schools. Amen. Thank you so much, Stephen. It has been great having you in the show. 
Thank you so much for the opportunity. I appreciate it. And it's great to connect with you on Twitter. I look forward to future conversations with you. Awesome. Me too. Thank you so much, Stephen. Uh, this has been Stephen Weaver, the Associate Superintendent for Teaching and Learning in Fayetteville um, Public School District in Arkansas. Thank you so much and good night. Thank you. I really appreciate it. This has been the podcast of Dr. Efraim Martinez, Wisdom and Productivity, Peace and Come.